Welcome to the Paramedia Podcast with Luca Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mirror Media Podcast. My name is Mukunda Raghavan, and today I am joined by uh, an eminent and uh, erudite scholar by the name of Guru Prakash, Professor Guru Prakash, who is uh, a lecturer at um, Patna University in Bihar, which is, for some of you that might not know, is a state in India um, that actually is one of the oldest states in probably the world that history goes back a couple few thousand years, if not into the second millennium BCE. Um, and Professor Prakash is um, a lecturer at law, and he also spends a lot of his time working on Dalit issues, not only in India, but across the world, and, and the Dalit experience, and how that experience um, over the past uh, decades has changed, morphed, and the issues that they face, and the larger issues of integration within the current state of India and um, all that comes from that over the past uh, seven years. So, Professor Prakash, welcome to the program. Um, how are you today? Thank you so much, uh, Mukundji. It's uh, really a privilege to be a part of this interesting conversation in this interesting background. And uh, I have watched a couple of videos of Meru Media. You really engage in some really insightful conversation on cultural civilizational issues, not only in India, but across the world. Really a privilege to be here with you. Well, it, the privilege is all mine, sir. You know, uh, I just do something little here and there. You spend your day in and out dealing with these issues and working on the ground. It's, what I do is a, is a minor seva for the larger work that you end up doing. Um, and, you know, and, and getting to that work, you know, maybe, maybe we can tell our viewers kind of what your background is and your history and your experience, because I really want them to get a sense of, you know, your journey. And, and what, how you came to where you came to? Uh, yes, Mukun. So I was born in Patna and uh, my initial education happened in uh, Patna itself. And coming from uh, an uh, underprivileged or uh, the formerly untouchable community or Dalit community uh, exposes you to a certain set of situation and circumstances, which is very unique to our community. Uh, but regardless of that, I think uh, you would have... Uh, known that our constitution, like the US constitution, also provides for preferential treatment or affirmative action for people belonging to the marginalized communities or for those who are at the fringes in terms of region, in terms of caste, in terms of gender, in terms of uh, people who are geographically isolated as well. So the constitution and uh, India has seen uh, seven decades since independence and the situation has dramatically changed as well. So I am going to speak not only about the victimhood perspective, but the sort of changes that the community has seen across the seven decades and uh, still, but uh, at no time, I am suggesting that uh, the situation is, uh, has uh, become better. The situation is still challenging and the amount of atrocities which is happening on Dalits, the amount of indignation which is associated with being a Dalit is still a huge challenge which the community faces today. So yes, like you asked, I was born in Patna. My initial education uh, happened in Patna. Went on to study law in one of the premier institutions of the country. Uh, completed my master's, completed my PhD. And then I've come back to my motherland, which is Bihar. And I've started teaching here in the Patna University. And been engaging with some uh, social activities, some uh, semi-political activities, 
organizing conversations and sort of working within the dalit community and uh, reading and analyzing the dalit consciousness in hmm. the sense where have we gone where are we and uh, what is going to be the way ahead because uh, caste unfortunately remains one of the important civilizational fault lines of our society right uh, whether we like it or not whether we we might have different perspectives on it but uh, uh, we were just uh, reading this news the other day about uh, cisco in the mm. united states yeah yeah and how uh, caste discrimination is still very uh, pertinent in even in the western societies sure. which is sort of unthinkable but uh, i was reading uh, in a hindi newspaper today mm. and uh, the author of that uh, opinion piece sums it up very carefully he says that the feeling of casteism is like covid 19 virus you cannot see it but it can still infect you right there can be in the future course a vaccine for covid 19 but there will be no vaccine for uh, your uh, casteism virus that has infected your thoughts that has infected your imagination sure uh, if you speak for me uh, since my father is also in university mother is also in university uh, our uh, sort of exposure towards caste our sort of uh, upbringing and uh, uh, roots always reminded us and we took pride in that so yeah. uh, the question is uh, how do you reconcile with the reality uh, at the same time you don't have to antagonize uh, one community against uh, each other that right. is also a pertinent point because uh, these days like i see in the united states hmm. uh, the black lives matters movement is at a very is at a is at peak today yeah, yeah. so I, i i came and uh, i i did some research and uh, from my understanding i might be mistaken that hmm. uh, in terms of assertion of the civil rights for black people or for the african american people uh, there were two streams one stream was of dr king dr martin yeah. luther king junior who speaks of coalition of conscience and the other stream is of malcolm x who speaks of sort of uh, violent aggression and uh, historical justice historical injustice and how do you sort of compensate it so there are two streams similarly in india there is one stream that is talking of integration inclusion representation at the critical decision making position and there is still another stream uh, which was popular a couple of decades ago i would say the maharashtra dalit panthers party mm-hmm. and some sort of uh, violent outbreak still happening here and there both the stream have their own significance and no one to make a choice between these sure. stream but at the same time i if you speak for me i myself uh, find myself closer or proximate to the stream which is of integration inclusion because india is huge yeah india is like in terms of scale and magnitude you would realize it's second to none hmm. so hatred generating hatred between two communities is not a solution yeah dr king speaks of coalition of conscience how do we sort of build a coalition of conscience uh, people from different caste coming together people realizing that uh, caste is an issue mm-hmm. and uh, how do we sort of fight it out how do we struggle yeah. with the everyday caste based discrimination only the other day uh, the news came up that in the south part of india tamil nadu a dalit uh, student 13 14 year old he was wearing a watch 
and uh-huh. his wrist was cut only because he was wearing a watch like cut off central, correct wow in the central part of india even today when there is a marriage happening of a dalit yeah. and he thinks of riding a horse stone pelting happens stones are thrown so he has to wear a helmet even when he is riding a horse to go uh, to the bride's place yeah. so these type of instances are still uh, uh, they are very disturbing they are extremely disturbing but at the same time there are uh, stories there are people who have come up regardless of their struggle regardless of their very humble origin and are doing well yeah so so, so this, this i think probably sums up my sort of experiences and uh, the broad perspective that sure. i have over issues mukunda sure uh, professor prakash if you don't mind me asking so even just like many other of the the other varna jatis whatever caste you want to call them there's there's differentiations within the dalit community too right in terms of different jati groups within the dalit jatis right so, um what would I mean, if you don't mind me asking which one did you come from and and how did your family get on the track to get education because in the previous lecture I, i heard you say that you were second generation i believe in of educated uh people in your family you know and and your point that you made in that lecture was was it actually it struck me as very very important is um many families have four or five generations of education and 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 you were talking about the the nature of reservations for or like four generations as being sufficient potentially right i mean i mean these are all subject to to more research and understanding but where what was your family's background in terms of your parents your grandparents you know uh see mukunda uh we usually make this mistake of uh, clubbing the entire dalit community and i'm happy that you asked this question into a singular caste yeah. or a single homogeneous entity but that is not the case mm-hmm. there are hundreds of castes within the dalit community let's say there are jatavs in uttar pradesh there are pashtuns in bihar there are malas and madigas in uh, andhra pradesh mm-hmm. there are chamars in uh, central india so like this there are hundreds of communities which are part of the so called larger dalit community mm-hmm. and uh, these communities at the time of independence during the making of the constitution were enlisted as the scheduled caste community mm-hmm. so if you look at the journey of the etymology of the term so before independence it was the depressed classes yeah the depressed classes were those classes who were uh, sort of historically marginalized institutionally exploited and ambedkar used this term this coinage of depressed classes was something which was very relevant pre independence sure then comes gandhi gandhi sort of in a patronizing tone yeah. uh, calls them harijan uh, they are god's own people uh, again i i might disagree because uh, the community the people from the community should have the right to call themselves what they want to call themselves absolutely yeah and uh, no other person can uh, sort of tell you or sort of impose their nomenclature on them yeah. so this sort of patronizing uh, overtures were there so from depressed classes comes harijan and after the independence comes a scheduled caste which is extremely popular these days the scs uh, which was the conglomerate which was a collection of castes from across the country yeah uh, who were facing uh, institutional discrimination for years now again that is something which is in uh, 
subject of research, a different research, when did actually caste-based uh, feelings crept in? What was it exactly the junctures? So th there are observations that say that uh, uh, with the colonial forces, with the Islamic forces, I don't myself agree with them. Uh, because my, my assertion is that when once the colonial forces or once the Islamic forces left, did you started, have you started enjoying the privileges that you continued with the caste discrimination? So the, these are these are these are something which is still unclear. These are something which is still unclear to us. So yes, uh, coming to your question, depressed classes, harijan, scheduled caste, and from the 70s and 80s, you see the term Dalit getting popular. Yeah. So the four, if you look at if you look at it chronologically, from depressed classes, harijan, uh, scheduled caste, and Dalit. So Dalits are is it, it's again it's now a very popular term in the sense that it's a conglomerate and it's it represents assertion as well mm. that know that we have a right these are our concerns these are our aspirations come on sit on this negotiation table we're going to have a conversation if not then we are going to resort to other constitutional means of protest and expressing our disagreement uh, so the, the, this the, this was a and again like we as a scholar or uh, as a student of uh, caste system, student yeah. of Indian society, student of Indian sociology, we should avoid committing this mistake of uh, calling or considering the entire uh, Dalit Samaj as one homogeneous Samaj. Right, right. Uh, as far as my own personal story is concerned, uh, uh, my father's grandfather, uh, we, we don't have history. Yeah. Uh, you should re realize, Mukunda, that uh, unlike the privileged communities, we did not have a sense of history and a sense of tradition. So we never kept a record of our family tree. So you will be surprised to know that I am not aware of my grandfather's father's name. Mm. I'm not precisely aware of what he used to do. Mm. And similarly from my maternal side as well. Right. So these are something which was fallout of, uh, because it's a question of survival. I think once you survive, only then you can think of uh, uh, academically analyzing your roots and uh, other stuff. So for us, it was a question of survival. And to a large extent, even today, it is a question of survival. And then comes growth. Yeah. So it, this, this is something which is very critical. Uh, my grandfather got a government job. Then my father uh, again. And again, this, this all happened because of preservation. Yeah. All this happened because of the constitutional mode of affirmative action. And then comes me. I also fortunately got uh, state-sponsored education. Uh, now I'm uh, working with the state government. So, yes, constitutional means have helped us. Constitution uh, has given us a vantage point from where we can sort of expect uh, uh, dignity or equality. But... There is still a lack of respect mm. when it comes to everyday conversations and everyday dialogue. Sure. Uh, like if you would have seen, I and I'm happy that you are talking about different dimensions of caste because here in India and even outside, uh, there is a strong resonance with the fact that caste issues are synonymous to reservation. Yeah, that yeah. is not the case. Whenever someone is talking about caste, oh, he or she is going to speak about reservation. He or she is going to demand more reservation. That is not the case, sir. 
we can yeah. have a different conversation of two hour conversation or a day long discussion on reservation its pluses its minus where have we come and uh, what are the sort of reforms that are required in reservation caste issues have sociology yeah. caste has economics caste has political dynamics in fact uh, one of the very interesting books that i've come across it's called caste as a social capital and it's written by vaidyanathan uh, oh okay okay I th- okay. yeah, R. Vaidyanathan. It's a very good book. Uh, professor Vaidyanathan is uh, the former professor of finance at the uh, Indian Institute of Management, Bangalore. And his fundamental argument is that how caste acts as a social capital and how merit, this notion of merit is very mm-hmm. contextual and relative. In the sense, he gives an example of uh, Palanpur Jains. So this interesting community of Palanpur Jains they have monopoly of over 80% when it comes to the global trade of diamonds. Yeah. Sheerly, only because of their uh, sheer presence in the uh, sort of, they find access to credit, they find access to market, they find access to skills and the mentorship which is happening within the community. Sure. So let's say if I want to do, uh, if I want to jump in on the entrepreneurship, I don't have a, let's say, parental supervision. I don't have that the sort of links. I don't have the sort of connections. But when it comes to a Jain community, they have that the sufficient access and the links to prosper in that uh, uh, sector, in that business. So uh, I think that, that that's a very fundamental argument where that caste, how caste plays a very important role in your, uh, how it acts as a social capital and how it helps you in a personal growth and development. Right, but in the same in the same respect, you know that Jain community to have that status and the ability to use their caste in in a way to benefit the individuals within that caste has to take it away from somebody else, right? I mean, it it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It is it exists within a larger framework of of other groups and individuals. So while that maybe maybe in that particular case that that the that Jane's son might not be good at what he's doing, but you. Uh, assuming, like, say, I was Dalit, or you are, and you wanted to get into that field, you wouldn't have access to it just because that the, they're, they they monopolized it, right? So it comes. I mean, caste does have, of course, it has its positive benefits for communities if your community is in a place of strength and privilege already. And then, but caste also maintained that privilege because you want to keep your sons and daughters and grandchildren and family members with that but that comes at the detriment of communities like yours and other communities being able to get into that area. Yes. Uh, I think I agree with you because it, like I said, caste uh, plays a very important role. Right. And uh, as far as uh, if you, if you ask me about what was the traditional occupation of my community, mm-hmm. so my community and why were we untouchable is because we were into pig rearing. Mm. Uh, sort of uh, call it in modern terms pig farming and so on but uh, pigs were uh, somewhat associated with uh, filth and dirt so but that again has a very interesting story and I would like to tell you about it sure yeah yeah so when uh, there was a struggle between uh, the colonial forces and the Islamic forces and this has been recorded by Baba Sahib Ambedkar. Yeah. Uh, so Ambedkar observes that uh, 
there was one battle of plassey or buxar somewhere plassey, around was, i think it was 1870 yeah. 1850 yes 1760 or something so what yes. happened someone suggested to the britishers that why don't you recruit paswans and have them in their uh, first line of aggression so they will come with their picks and on the opposite side we will have islamic forces so when the war happens they will let go of the picks that is the first line of offense mm-hmm. and then since they consider picks as napak and so on so even this leads us to a different conversation on the fictional thought of dalit muslim unity yeah so like you says you would have seen these days uh certain segment of our uh, intellectual leaders they are bent on uh, having this dalit muslim unity idea or jay peem jay meem idea so can we touch on this in a little bit i i i that is a topic i want to touch but i think it's more important first to for me and i think for listeners to get into larger just the dalit issues right because this is a subsequent issue it's important nonetheless but it's more important for me that you know we have this system that is terrible it's inhumanizing to to people millions of people right in india and and like you said even in cisco people coming over here bringing that mentality to table and and in india it's talked about but it's also talked about in a when i lived in india for a few years and i always felt it was they never talked about the issues what they would do is talk about either vote bank kind of kind of issues or they would uh generally dismiss or, or use the stories to give examples of atrocities not the experience the day to day lived experience of a you know a, of a, a i mean i can't say average dalit because there is no average dalit every dalit is unique and different and they have their own unique experiences within you know for example south india tamil nadu might have a different experience in dalit communities than gujarat or or bihar and and like we were talking about earlier there's there's many communities within the dalit community and there's tensions between these communities just like there's tensions between any other communities so what what are the underlying um issues currently i would say first first between dalits themselves and then and then dalits as a whole with the what people now call subarnas what is your caste mukunda uh my parents are brahmana and i am brahmana i guess so i think uh, that is the first moot point because yeah. in india especially in the urban uh, centers hmm. we really notice that uh, caste denialism mm-hmm. or caste blindness there is a huge section uh, of privileged society mm-hmm. who say that i do not believe in caste i do not believe in casteism yeah. i myself never practice casteism sure and 99% of the time people who are saying this they are coming from privileged community yeah. the so called brahman kshatriya vaishya yeah in my 32 33 years of life span i have never come across a dalit or a backward community or a marginalized person saying that i do not believe in caste yeah so when the rest of the society is not even willing to acknowledge that there is a problem there right. comes to yeah yeah so you being a brahman based in united states sort of on the basis of your readings on your observations you are mindful of the fact that this issue can no longer be ignored because people with some sort of understanding of indian society 
cannot uh, have those far reaching uh, assertions that there is no casteism in india right right so first acknowledge and accept that caste is a problem mm-hmm. the first and the foremost problem which i see apart from the mental illness of casteism is that the absence to the means of education mm-hmm. still the lack of access to good employment opportunities still and uh, if you ask me the absence of dalits at critical decision making positions in the institutions that matter yeah yeah how oh, these institutions are public institutions these institutions are private institutions although reservation has played a role but even after reservation you would be surprised to know that uh, there has been no dalit who has reached the topmost position of civil services in india that is the cabinet secretary wow there has been no dalit in the seven decades who has become a foreign secretary there has been only a single dalit who became the chief justice of india which is the so called head of our judicial system in india only one in seven decades of independence no and how many dalit dalits are there And how, and so, was, what's the population of Dalits in India? Just to get a, a sense of how many people we're talking about that don't, right? Including scheduled castes and scheduled tribes, yeah. it would be in the tune of thirty crores. That's three hundred million people. That's Correct. not. That's bigger than almost. It's almost as big as the United States. So basically, out of a population of the United States, you don't have a single person. and no one found competent in whatever standard to come to a level where they can be making decisions about this that is absurd correct correct and uh, that, that that is a very important uh, point and like you said what are the underlying issues these are the underlying issues we don't see people uh, no cabinet secretary in seven decades no foreign secretary in seven decades only one person kg balakrishnan who goes on to become the chief justice of india Huh. no person yet who has become the prime minister of the country sir but someone will say it's president you have the president who is yes i was coming to we have yeah. one president uh, ramnath kovin like i said there have been some development sure. but not on the expected levels the number of vice chancellors of universities the number of professors uh, the number of people in the media organization at the critical decision making positions the number of right. people in civil society in uh, sports in entertainment because you would have seen uh, the policy of diversity and the affirmative action in the united states sure. that ensures equitable representation of people from different origin uh, across the sector but I mean, we still have the, issues we still have very big correct, issues there 100% 100% yeah. i agree with you and you would know better uh, than me on those because obviously of your you being there but uh, in terms of policy we yeah. need to have more broader a more broad comprehensive policy of uh, having more and more dalits more and more people from the marginalized communities in the institutions that matter the structures of power the structures yeah. of patronage has consciously kept the dalit community detached so these are some of the important issues which i think we think of uh, how do we ensure representation how do we ensure better education how do we ensure access to employment opportunities and apart from this 
uh, in the normative sense, a right. sense of dignity and respect. Right. That is something which is very crucial. That is something which is very critical. Because so, if your if your wrist is being cut only yeah. on the fact that you had a thought of wearing a watch, if you have to wear a helmet when you are riding the horse and going for your own wedding ceremony, in states like Gujarat, if you see the atrocity incidents and the aggressors are making a video out of it, yeah. just look at the audacity of it. A, you are committing a grave mistake, an illegal offense. B, you are making a video out of it and consciously making the victim realize that his sort of uh, this action is justified. Now, how do you reconcile with it? So th- th- this is, these are some of the larger issues that is yet to be figured out, Mukunda. Uh, but yes, like I said, and I always maintain that uh, the last seven decades has been extremely fruitful. Uh, in the interest of the community. Uh, this is something which, uh, th- these are some of the underlying issues which uh, are the primary concerns and aspirations of the community today. Sure. When you talk of uh, differences within the Dalit community, yeah. that is also a very interesting factor and uh, not being studied well yet. Because yeah. I also wonder, because a lot of people also don't know, for example, um, there is a difference between OBC scheduled caste, uh, um, Adivasis, or, or original uh, first people, what they call Adivasis. And, and there's so many demarcations. Like, although people love to talk about Modi being OBC, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as being a Dalit, right? It's a very different uh, uh, group of people. So how do people understand that dynamic, right? So, I mean, there is a dynamic of upper caste, which will Usually, even the terms Vaishya, Kshatriya, Brahmana are very difficult that way because even a Kshatriya or Vaishya could belong to a different Jati or whatever you call. It's considered lower in some sense, but obviously not in uh, absolute sense, right? So my, my, my question, I guess, here would be, what is the demarcation between OBC, scheduled caste, uh, you know, and, and uh, Adivasis? I'm not a scholar of Varna system, but... Uh, no, but I mean by the law. What does yeah, the law yeah. see it? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you a background as well. Sure, sure. So, I'm not an authority on it, but if, yeah. you, look at, if you look at the Varna system, mm-hmm. there's Brahman, who is the priestly class. Mm-hmm. There are Kshatriya, who are the warrior class. Yeah. There are Vaikyas, who are the trading class. And there are Shudras, mm-hmm. who are in the service, uh, agriculture, peasants, and so on. Yeah. Then there are Avarnas as well. Yeah. In English, they could be outcasts. So if you take an import of it, a large segment of peasant population who in the due course became agricultural landholders as well. So this is something which is very interesting that you, I'm happy that you raised this point. OBC, other backward classes, other backward communities, primarily uh, if you talk of the north part of India, it's mm-hmm. the Kushwahas, it's the Kurmis, it is the Yadavs, and so on and so forth. These communities are landholding communities. Mm-hmm. These communities are rich communities. I'm not saying that there is no poverty in these communities, sure. but on the face of it, statistically, these are the rich landholding community. And the problem arose when, in the 1990s, when the Mandal Commission came. 
the mandal commission entitled these communities for reservation in education and employment that was state sponsored from 47 to 1990 yeah the rest of the society sort of reconciled with the fact that scst has been socially and geographically uh, ostracized so they need reservation yeah and i i'm placing this on record the rest of the society be tramman shatriya vaishya they were they accepted this yeah i agree this sort of historical compensation but the problems came when the sharing happened for the obcs that was mm. done purely on the basis of politics i think again i mean everyone i can there can have their own opinion but uh, obc reservation is something which is a very contentious issue and every section is now like a rich maratha community in maharashtra jhat community in haryana <laughs> yeah. these people are you the patels recently right even the patels try to get it patels yeah, yeah. and these guys are these guys are rich these guys are really rich like you are asking for reservation now that that is something which is a cause of concern yeah but yes uh, when you talk of scheduled caste scheduled caste deserves more because they faced institutional discrimination while staying within the society scheduled tribes have been attributed because they were geographically isolated yeah you get my point they were yeah. not uh, sort of uh, facing everyday discrimination everyday uh, sort of exclusion yeah. but dalit community the scheduled caste community they were living on the fringe of your residential societies yes they were cleaning your toilets they were doing all the menial jobs so in that case they were bereft of the land they were bereft of the natural resources uh, the shiru tribes like you see in the northeastern part of the country and even in the rajasthan for that matter they were the land holding communities they the solely purely the reason for them uh, getting the constitutional sanction is because of their geographical isolation right. but if you ask me the if i make the case for sc's reservation it makes more sense if i make a case for their assertion for more demand more respect and more dignity right. that is sort of more meaningful than the other communities this is the difference between uh, sc's sc's and obc according to me if right. i'm able to want to talk to you no and that that makes total sense uh and i i get that it, it just what i find and and again this is i think problematic amongst a lot of the hindutva groups um is that they'll talk about or people that want to talk about how there is no caste issues in india will make comments like that saying to the extent oh look uh, a low caste person like modi is pm but that that is a very to my mind that ends up being a very superficial argument because probably his community did not have the same concerns and issues as many dalit communities have um historically speaking and they and, and again i don't know much about modi's uh, uh terms of his community but i do know a decent amount of the of the dalit struggle from my readings of ambedkar and phule and, and a few other people so it's just uh it, i think it's a apples to oranges comparison sometimes i'm sorry i did not get you uh did you hear were you not able to hear me no Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying uh a lot of times much of the the I guess the people that want to talk about how caste is resolved in India for the most part because somebody like Modi is president, I mean a uh, prime minister and he's from a backward class, but the problem I think many of them forget is within the Dalit communities they have 
faced significantly more um, ostracization, uh, oppression, suppression, and kept out of the fringes of society, um, kept out of society on the fringes for much longer. Um, and that it's not indicative of us, of progress for, for Dalits. It's indicative of, of maybe progress for that particular community that Modi is part of. I don't, I mean, but, but I think the comparison between OBCs and Dalits and scheduled tribes is apples to oranges in many ways. You see, uh, Mukunda, this is the power pyramid. Yeah. And power is traveling downwards. Mm-hmm. For the first four, five decades, it was with the forward caste community. Right. Then you see a broader, which is the OBC community. Right. And then you see the broadest, that is the Dalit community. So it took us four decades for the power to travel from forward community to the intermediary community, which is presently the case. Sure. It is going down further. You will see in the due course, the decentralization of power, which is going to happen. Right. And as far as the rise of our prime minister is concerned, it is a phenomenal journey. Yeah. In the sense, uh, if you look at uh, the sort of Congress dispensation, uh, they were essentially focused on one family. Yeah. They were essentially focused on one caste. And uh, there, there are cases, there are cases when Babu Jagjivan Ram, who was uh, once the deputy prime minister of the country mm-hmm. and who was the defense minister of the country in 1971 war that led to the emergence of Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at how he was facing difficulties in the Congress party. He never got that sense of respect from within the Congress party. So. Congress party has had a history of uh, treating uh, Dalits and people from marginalized communities in a certain way. But at the same time, uh, you mentioned the word Hindutva as well. Yeah. And I call this the subalternization of Hindutva. The people at the margins, the people who are uh, socially not of privileged background, yeah. they are carrying Hindutva on their shoulders. Yeah. Let me be very clear on that. There is one Kamad Yatra that happens. Kaumada Yatra happens in the Hindi calendar of Savan month, mm-hmm. where uh, a person is supposed to carry water from uh, Holy River Ganges to the nearest Shivalinga. Mm-hmm. So, and lakhs of people attend that Kaumada Yatra. Majority of them, they come from uh, Dalit community and OBC community. There is a Chhat festival where we worship our yeah. sun god, especially in the eastern part of the country. Majority of the people who are doing Chhat, they're coming from specific community which are not socially privileged. Mm-hmm. So, and this has been the case historically as well. You look at Kuldevta, you, you would have known Mayavati and the Kanshinam. Why did these guys never uh, convert to any other religion? Because they precisely realized the social and political capital of being a Hindu. So a Dalit is primarily, regardless of whatsoever narratives are going on, they are primarily the carriers of Hindutva. They are proud Hindus and they are probably more Hindu than a Brahmin Hindu in their own sense of realization. So yes, Hindutva is something which is very critical. And uh, uh, Hindutva in political assertion gave them a sense of respect, gave them a sense of representation as well at uh, because whenever you are in a Kavad Yatra, you don't follow any sort of discrimination. Mm-hmm. You are equal. Whenever you are going to Vaishno Devi or whenever you are into any sort of pilgrimage, there are no differences. 
who are equal in the eyes of the god yeah which is you know it, i mean bringing it to like uh so i spent a lot of my my because of my brandon background in some sense i have i have studied the shastras quite a bit in the text and the history and and i come from i don't know if you know much about the shri vaishnavite community or ramanujacharya in the south um so uh, have you heard ramanujacharya in the south um, yeah very briefly though yeah uh, so i mean one of the stories goes around him is uh, back in, this is 11th century 12th century approximately um when when there was other forms of casteism to be honest and and there was a touchability uh, practice i think one of his great things that that is uh, attributed to him was he opened the doors of all the temples and all uh all any sort of devotional work that was being done or spiritual work or religious work to all castes it was no bar on that um and also uh i think his even a few of his uh acharyas in 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 terms of um the sampradaya there are uh, uh, uh non brahmins and other castes i i think there's even dalit within the all of our tradition which is very connected to the idea of of universality but within the hindu fold over time the role of dalits have, has been or the or whatever you want to call them for the past they would be called chandalas or or whatever terrible term that they used in the past um were integral to the maintenance the growth and the 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 very foundation of hinduism i mean i i i think people that 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 have the view that that hinduism is not for these people it, it concerns me because if you look at the history itself it's all about these great iconoclasts someone like balmiki who was who's belonged to uh an, an untouchable caste or community is the writer of one of the greatest texts of of all of asia right you know the ramayana so it's, i i just find it interesting how um and and this goes into the narrative you talked about earlier about the the dalit muslim connection where it as if like dalits have no place within hindu fold and they only belong within outside that fold were you able to hear me hello hello guru can you hear me were uh, you able to i think some problem oh did you lose me can you hear me hello 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 yeah mukunda can you hear me yeah i can hear you now i think uh, you lost uh, you lost me this is these are some third world problems no <laughs> well all world problems i, I think internet is generally a, a terrible problem um but i don't know what i uh, where you last got me but i guess my point i was just trying and uh, dalits being at the foundation of hinduism yes yeah yeah okay so it, it just it strikes me as somewhat difficult and this is where i have to have some conversation with ambedkar too right ambedkar's position as to um to re- get rid of casteism in india requires the i think his word was the the destruction or of hinduism in some sense right alienation of yeah. caste well in in his work on alienation of caste he, uh, there's one line where he talks about the destruction of of hindu hinduism as a religion um for in order for caste to survive or for equality amongst uh people in india um i don't know what your thoughts are on that no that that's an interesting point mukunda that you brought uh, 
should realize one thing that uh, even ambedkar he converted to buddhism now buddhism again is a religion which has its roots in india yeah ambedkar was very mindful of the fact that if he converts to any abrahamic faith mm-hmm. let's say islam or christianity then yeah. there will be huge problems if you read ambedkar's work on islam he's yeah, very critical very critical yeah he's very critical of the role of missionaries as well so ambedkar was still uh, sort of contemplating on uh, what religion should i opt for right and uh, unfortunately once he converted into buddhism we lost him after 57 or 56 days yeah so i think it's a matter of another research that was he sort of unhappy or unsatisfied once he converted to buddhism uh, because the sort of response which he expected from across the country it was not there it was essentially dalits from maharashtra who converted with him people from north india did not convert to any other religion if you still look at the statistics you find hardly uh, any semblance of dalit buddhist in the north part of the country in a large part of the country i would say so there are two things here yeah. first point is uh, why did not ambedkar contemplate of converting to any abrahamic faith mm-hmm. let's say islam or christianity so he is very mindful of the fact that if i somehow uh, follow the path of islam or christianity then that is going to be disastrous not only for the indian society but for the indian subcontinent as a whole yeah so my this is my hypothesis he chooses a religion which is closest to india which has its roots in india and people they say that buddhism is also an offshoot of hinduism now you know i'm not a researcher or a scholar on this but at the buddhism has deep connections with hinduism It yeah, talks yeah. of detachment. It talks of even today uh, this practice of uh, vipassana is mm-hmm. very uh, popular. So vipassana also has uh, roots in meditation, your breathing, and so on. And the second thing uh, in his last days, how Ambedkar assessed his uh, uh, this move of converting mm-hmm. into because uh, I read some records. when ambedkar went to north india with this idea of buddhism uh, there were disturbances within the dalit community as well they did not accept it and uh, there were instances where uh, dalit leaders registered their disapproval as well so ambedkar certainly had uh, a set of problems with hinduism but he somehow realized we should look we should go back and see if he was so venomous against hinduism why did he advocate for temple entry yeah it's this is very important because temple you would know it's not only a place of worship no. temple is a nerve center of society where social activities education cultural activities they like historically and culturally if you see so he realized the importance and the relevance of uh, the temple institution right so i think that this point is something which is uh, we, we need not arrive any particular conclusion yet sure. but uh, again this is just a subject subject of research why did he choose buddhism over all other faiths and uh, he his last days were uh, pretty much uh, sort of disturbed of right. this 
Right. I mean, I mean, the thing with Buddhism is, I, I, I find it very interesting, is because generally Buddhism is, in some ways, it is a, a very Brahmana Kshatriya religion, because historically that's who who it appealed to, um, and it was never a, a, a religion for the people necessarily, because it didn't have the cultural ties to the earth, the ground, the the, the locations. Like if you think about like any of these yatra, yatra places across India, they're connected to usually nature, right? There's a great river or lake, whatever. And the communities there amongst various kinds, all castes would be part of that, part of that natural, natural location. And Buddhism doesn't have that necessarily outside of like Sarnath. Um, and Jainism the same way, it's primarily upper caste. And, 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 the, and, the, and maybe that could be the frustration why many, maybe historically, and this is just me hypothesizing, that people from lower caste never really converted, quote unquote lower caste. Again, I don't, I hate these terms, but it is, the, it's a social function um, that they never converted to these other religions en masse is because they found ways within the Hindu structure to, to pull themselves up or break open walls and barriers. So I'm, I'm guessing that might be something that Ambedkar might have dealt with when he converted to Buddhism and saw that there wasn't a large Dalit community within that framework. It's just a thought. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if it makes any sense. Well, um, like, I said, like I said, it's still a... I mean, had Ambedkar been so critical, I mean, in his works, yeah. you see... Uh, but he realizes the importance of religion. Yeah. He realizes the importance of faith. And uh, therefore, his uh, criticism of Hinduism needs a fresh perspective. It right. needs a fresh conversation on... Uh, because he never, in his uh, imagination, thought of any social disintegration. He never thought of... He realized the value of it. He realized, right. like Dr. King, he realized uh, how do you build a coalition of conscience. Like his wife, his uh, second wife was not a Dalit. She came from... Uh, a Brahmin community. So these are some of the minute uh, factors which we need to realize that, uh, like I said, in a country as diverse as India, mm -hmm. you cannot uh, talk of a different nation for Dalits. You cannot talk of a yeah. different setup for Dalits. How do we reconcile with uh, the concerns and aspiration of each and each community? And how do you sort of have a respectable conversation? Like, whether Dalits are ready to come on the table or not, whether the whether Mukund is ready to come on the table and talk to a Dalit or not, and sort of negotiate what are your concerns and aspirations these days. Right, um, and I think we can end with that later. But I, from following up from Unbaker's point here, which which I think is a great segue into the point you made earlier about this current, I guess, global trend of Dalit uh, Muslim solidarity was really interesting because many of these. Uh, movements love to say J Beam, right? And they're always talking about how Unbaker is attacking um, Hinduism caste in Hindu context, and but they never bring up the fact that he wrote an entire book on his uh, concern about Islam and, and concern about Islam's role within India, and even even worse, he would talk about Islam's role in the castes of of within India, right? You know, while he might have given a lot of um, a lot of importance to the creation of caste and the maintenance of caste in some sense by the Hindu society, he gave a scathing attack on Islam and Islamic society as to how they 
created made it worse in many ways good that you raised this point and uh, let me tell you at the very outset that uh, this is nothing more than a mere political sloganeering and it has been tested as well in the last uh, legislative elections of one of the largest states of the country uttar pradesh uh-huh. mayavati bahujan samaj party it's a major political party in the parts of north india she tried this experiment she gave symbols party tickets to more than 90 muslims and none of them won so this shimera of dalit muslim unity is nothing more than a figment of imagination and more and more dalit leaders are also realizing this asaduddin owaisi yeah yeah the leaders of aimim which is again a smaller party in the in the state of andhra pradesh he tried to have a rally with one of the prominent dalit leaders of bihar which is the jitan ram manji Mm-hmm. Jitan Ramanji realized this and then said no. So this is nothing but uh, a sort of narrative being peddled by a section of intelligentsia, by the so-called uh, narrative builders or the discourse makers, to and I call them uh, with no qualms breaking India for themselves yeah. because uh, there, there is no historical. Uh, now, if you look at it, you look at Manmohan Singh. Mm-hmm. He said that. Muslims have the first right over the national resources. Oh my God! What is this? Muslims have been rulers of this country, sir, for in the tune of two hundred years. Were Dalits rulers of this country? Not to my mind. Not to my reading. So one is the victor, another one is the victim, and you are unnecessarily trying to join this for your political motive. Yeah. The recent. Bit of protest in the Citizenship Amendment Act. Yeah. Who are going to be the beneficiary of it? The Dalit, Dalit <laughs> community of Pakistan, the Dalits in Bangladesh who are being ostracized. They are going to be the beneficiary of this uh, Amendment Act. It doesn't hold any water. And if you go back a little bit more into history, you would realize that this Jai Bhim Jai Mim or Dalit Muslim solidarity is not a new thing. Mm-hmm. Jogendranath Mandal, who was a Dalit. and he was the first law minister of pakistan he submits his 48 uh, page letter of resignation which is and you must read that mm. the letter of resignation by jogindranath mandal the first uh, law minister of pakistan and he mentions about the amount of atrocities which is happening on dalits by the muslims and yeah. that eventually to the 1971 war as well in fact i am doing uh, this uh, interesting conversation on uh, marich chapi massacre this yes. marich chapi massacre is uh, marich chapi is an island in the sundarban and it is one of the darkest event of uh, our political history where uh, to some uh, assertion 10000 people from the dalit and the marginalized communities were killed by the state and it's a very good book it's called the blood island by a senior journalist called deep haldar mm. so communists the breaking in their forces the islamist forces the uh, sort of people with a different uh, uh, narrative they always uh, toy with this idea of how do you sort of uh, integrate them but like i said dalits have been the carrier of hindutva on the ground they worship 
like you and me they are more hindus than a average hindu yeah. so this entire idea doesn't hold any water one has been historically the ruling class and the second has been historically the at the receiving end so right. i don't see any connection in that politically it has failed socially it doesn't hold any water and if some intellectuals want to sort of benefit from this then i can't help it but to me to my studies to my experiences it has no semblance with reality right right i mean this is a it was a very especially in the west um you started seeing a lot of articles when kashmir when the 370 was revoked right about how it's a, a, a basically um a marginalization and destruction of muslims in kashmir but what never got spoken about across the board anywhere in the west was how the dalit community the valmikis were treated within kashmir right for the past 30 years right they were brought there to do basically man, manual scavenging work but given no opportunity the, the the federal law or the central law didn't apply to them they couldn't get reservations there they couldn't get jobs there outside of the work that they were doing they were basically treated subhuman in that area but where's the conversation about that where's the conversation of you know you know hundreds of thousands of people you know maybe 100,000 people being treated like their animals where is that conversation happening nay in fact uh, very happy that you raised this point because my phd is precisely on this topic okay my phd is on uh, the socio legal impact of article 370 mm-hmm. on the dalits women and the obcs of the jammu and kashmir yeah so 370 was essentially giving you a sort of legislative superiority to the sultanate of the valley mm. i'll call them sultanate because uh, they consciously when the dalits of the rest of the country they were enjoying the fruits of reservation people like us our brothers in jammu and kashmir were bereft of the opportunities why is it so yeah are they less dalit are we more dalits so the question must be raised and asked so like i said there are some sections with vested interest women of jammu and kashmir mubanda women of jammu and kashmir they don't have same succession rights when it comes to property as men yeah that's right we were on obcs the women in that state and i don't know what uh, these guys what factors uh, led to perpetuating this article 370 in the name of white lies how can you even uh, like the case of almigis that you mentioned they could not apply for a better government job they had to apply for only cleaning jobs and sanitation jobs this is unacceptable this is inhuman in this day and age but this was still happening right. and uh, no no one is talking about it in fact back in 2013 when i went to delhi university law department with this topic that i want to pursue my phd on this uh, uh, theme they were also sort of like i said uh, narrative in yeah. the academic the narrative in the intellectual has been particularly favorable to gandhi family in the congress party uh-huh. and how do you perpetuate them as the be all and end all of everything and only the narratives which suit the gandhi family only the narratives that suit the uh, politics of gandhi family i'm not here for a political conversation but since you are asking me i am uh, just uh, uh, bent on uh, giving you these observations because you've been a victim of it yeah i mean it's it's difficult for me to think about this because we end up having and, and again i have to only come from it I, even though i lived in india for a few years much of my 
much of my knowledge comes from both Indian sources and American sources, or Western sources. And the Western sources, I find very much so, use Dalits as props when they need to, which is very sad to me because they'll talk about Dalits as uh, victims in cases when it suits the narrative of how India is terrible to these uh, people, which in some sense is true, but when it comes to how, for example, Muslims are terrible to them, you never hear a whiff of it. Or when you, you talk about uh, you know, Marxists being terrible to them and, and using them in, in their games between in Kerala and, and or West Bengal, no one says anything about that. It's only when it comes to either the state of India or the religion of Hinduism that you hear any sort of negativity or issues that come with the community on the whole. And, and, and look, I, I am all about openness. I, if that wrong happens by the Indian state and the wrong happens by Hindu community, bring it out. But it also should be brought out when Muslims do it or the Marxists do it or anyone else does it too. Because if you're doing selective outrage here, what you're doing is just using a community for your own purposes. And you aren't treating the community as something on their own that they want to achieve and, and help them achieve that. I am surprised for your opinions and uh, point of views. Why are you not ostracized in the U.S. academic circles? Well, I'm not an academic, so I, I don't. And, and second of all, I don't care. I don't care what they say. I, 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 NYTs and the Wash Post and uh, the Hudson Institutes and the American Think Tank, they, yeah. are, they would vehemently disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, they, that's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, but the difference is it, it's whether you have facts and let's just talk about on the ground realities. That's more important to me than someone disagreeing with me and, and disliking my opinion. Dislike my opinion, whatever. I don't give a rat's ass, you know, like, sorry for my French here. But for me, it's, it's if you're looking to solve a problem and you're, uh, trying to address a situation, the narrative is secondary to to what the truth must come out, right? And, and, and this is how, for example, you're a lawyer too. We know how effective truth and reconciliation commissions are. They're very effective, right? They're much more effective than any sort of criminal justice system that we engage with because it forces the victims and their oppressors to at somewhat level acknowledge their humanity and issues with each other. And I, and I think that the first thing that becomes very important there is truth. And if the truth gets lost in these narratives, then we're going, to lose this, we're going to lose the solution at the end. So for me, that's why I think it's very important for us to be open and honest and engage with stories, engage with each other. I, I think I agree with you, Mukunda, on this. Because uh, in the opening remarks, I mentioned about some of the stories that are very positive. Yeah. I told you of uh, one such uh, sort of uh, example. Mm. Dalit Indian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, DICCI. Dalit Indian Chamber of Com Chamber of Commerce and Industry is a collection of five thousand small and big entrepreneurs coming precisely specifically from Dalit and tribal communities. Mm -hmm. There are Dalits in the country whose annual revenue is in the tune of one thousand crores. There are many Dalits in the country whose annual revenue is in the tune of five hundred crores to one hundred crores. There are many Dalits who have reached the position of esteemed position of professors and vice chancellors. Mm -hmm. There are many Dalits uh, who have topped the most difficult examination on the planet, UPSC. Tina Dabi was one such example. There are Dalits who have secured uh, medals in Olympic and Commonwealth. 
no one is talking about that. Yeah. So my concern is this: How do you find people? In fact, uh, on April 14, 2020, this year, on the birth anniversary of uh, Baba Sahib Ambedkar, mm-hmm. some of us uh, came together and formed All India Dalit Youth Alliance (A I D Y A), and uh, we have presentation in uh, more than 20 states. Young Dalits from across the spectrum, mm-hmm. industry, civil society, bureaucracy. Who are willing to have conversation? An average Dalit is not uh, conscious or aware of the Dalit Muslim solidarity. We are busy in making ends meet, sir. Right, right. We are uh, busy in thinking of uh, how do we put bread and butter in the next meal? How do we put food on the plate? We are not worried about who came when. Uh, what is the idea of victimhood? What Dalit Muslim solidarity? That there is no such thing mm. in reality. in reality our concern is employment education like whatever is our concern of uh, an average american or an average indian sure like how how do i provide uh, better education for my kids how do i seek uh, personal growth and development so these sort of narratives are going to be peddled and uh, unfortunately they are some of the forces uh, which are inimical to the interest of the nation and the society but let me get this straight that uh, as someone from the community as someone who is actively involved with uh, the community and the when it comes to articulation of uh, concerns and uh, aspiration i don't see any semblance any sort of uh, agreement with uh, this fiction of dalit muslim uh, uh, solidarity and so so i mean i've taken so much of your time and i'm sure you have so many other things to do today but you know i just want to um talk a little bit last few things i want to talk about is some great you know progress what do you think should be done within india and outside of india and and i hate the term ally but you know let's just use it how can other people that are not dalits help help the cause of equality here and not just law the law is we all know law is one thing society is a whole other thing you know the law might be you might be equal in the law but you're not equal in society i mean how do we help equalize how we treat each other and and respect each other because to be honest although you said there's no you guys did not have history a sense of history there is probably there i know no problem there is probably there is history in the dalit people and the dalit communities and amazing history that at some point come out over or over time which i hope how can we help or be part of of making things better for everyone i i did not say that we do not have a sense of history no no you, you said you didn't no 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 you said you did because of uh, the efforts for survival yeah. we could not have a sense of history no that's what i meant i apologize no come on it's just a matter of few words but uh, everyone uh, would like to have a sense of history and tradition i would like to have a family tree of my own yeah but question is and like you said like uh, how can the so called global community in their right mind can come together and work for uh, or probably contribute to the dalit cause yeah first and foremost i think we should be ready to acknowledge and accept the presence of caste mm. we should not uh, live in this uh, 
tools paradise that caste is not a problem caste is a thing of past we tend to especially the savarna community my friends from savarna community again so called savarna community this is something which is very uh, this thing they should not follow caste denialism they should mm-hmm. not follow caste blindness mm-hmm. caste is a reality and i am not saying this the national crime reports bureau data published by the ministry of home affairs government of india when yeah. it is saying that there is a decadal increase of 66% from 2007 to 2017 when it comes to dalit atrocities mm-hmm. you are just fooling yourself when you are saying that caste is not a reality so to accept and acknowledge that yes caste is a problem yes dalits have uh, not achieved they deserve more they deserve better education opportunities that is something which is very crucial even today if you look at uh, the number of dalits in the ivy league institution you would be surprised it is dismally low yeah that's right in, uh, there are only a couple of them and again these people with all due respect they get influenced by the breaking india narrative and there are many i would not like to take their names of course they are bent on making caste as an international issue they are bent on making caste as uh, like there are efforts of uh, getting the united nation conventions on caste yeah and that 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 would be disastrous for uh, india that would be disastrous for our national interest so nationalism and hindutva these two things are very crucial to the dalit imagination today in our country a lot of our soldiers a lot of our young people like i said we are the carriers of hindutva so no one should be fooling around and saying and imposing this narrative that no you are not part of this culture you are not part of this civilization excuse me i am very much part of this culture i am very much part of this civilization as you are and who are you to tell me this mm-hmm. my forefathers uh, sant ravidas sant kabir das kallave sardar udham singh mm-hmm. you know sardar udham singh who avenged the death of jallianwala bag massacre who goes to london forms gadar party and so on he was a dalit yeah so you cannot uh, imagine dalit in a, a silo or you can not divorce the dalit imagination from uh, nationalism and hindutva right so we would be doing a great amount of service if we would realize we acknowledge and we accept this problem and the sort of narrative in the western academia and the western press that i find it really disturbing and if something can be done if uh, they bring the right stakeholders they don't call me in fact uh, there was a piece in nyt i wrote to the editor let me write a rejoinder to it if you really want an indian perspective yeah your own one perspective why are you not telling me allow to put my own perspective then i just got to leave it these guys are not going to because these guys are operating they have their own belief system they have their own value system they're not willing to listen to the other other side they say they are being very boastful the fact that we are the oldest democracy and so on but uh, there is no sort of appetite for dissent there is no appetite for diversity of opinion and perspective so i think if probably this happens in our generation right. if they are willing to listen to the other side that will be a huge contribution 
and a lot of efforts are going on the government of india is providing scholarship for people to go and study abroad so better education better employment opportunities is something uh, and a sense of respect dignity through representation at key decision making position that is going to be the central uh, sort of demand for the next generation dalits that is something which is very critical because the seven decades of affirmative action gave us jobs gave us employment gave us education what we now need is intervention at critical decision making position what we now need is our own guy in the supreme court our own guy at the topmost position in the bureaucracy our own guy in the media as well who will at least be mindful and uh, will be able to empathize with the concerns when it comes uh, to his or her own institution sure. so yes a uh, global solidarity network uh, who are willing to have fresh conversation on the ideas of caste would be greatly helpful in uh, the cause of so called social justice or dalit upliftment i would say sure i mean on that note i mean you brought up a point you brought up a couple times is the recognition of caste by people right you know people uh, tend to think caste is gone how can that play out in in the day to day life right you know it, you know it's not like i can i meet someone i say what's your caste and then i recognize it how does that how how do you how do you see it playing out to to fix that problem of recognition you see for us it's not difficult for you it might be difficult yeah yeah i mean i i, I don't know i i, uh, I you have to define it for me so i know whether it's something that sits in my mind or not see being a dalit is something uh, which adu like you said in your initial observation as well yeah. which only dalit can realize yeah and uh, i think only through candid conversation only through honest conversation only right. through establishing deep emotional bond with a person would be able to gauge about his social origin about his journey and what his story has we should talk to people we should engage with them at a deeper level and not only at a superficial level right. that is something very critical because an average dalit is very emotive mm-hmm. average dalit he from my understanding he is very loyal he once he commits to you he will always be with you because th- these are some of the layered conversations which we have seen in our life living in a rural part of the country mm-hmm. we realize that once he commits uh, himself or herself to you he will stay by your side in the end of his or her life yeah so these are some of the emotive tools these are some of the conversations which you should have with them and make them realize that uh, you are equal right you are not else you are uh, treat them with dignity and respect and you would know i'm sure uh, in uh, even in the let's the western ecosystem uh-huh. like like it is being played out as we speak the cisco uh, this thing episode is uh, telling you this that uh, in spite of uh, being senior a junior of a dalit was promoted above him yeah. only because of caste position so i'm not going to buy this argument that caste is uh, caste has disappeared in the united states no. you would realize this and start speaking with them start having fresh conversations start establishing deep emotional bonds with them and you would realize it 
Sure. And, and, and just to, uh, to t uh, tack on this point, so, uh, I mean, this is another concern that, you know, you hear amongst a lot of the, the Hindu community um, across the board is that there is a Dalit Christian nexus, right, in terms of, of, of what we would call, again, breaking India forces in some sense or, or, or breaking the Dalit forces. I, I mean, whatever you want to call it. But is there, I mean, again, I, I don't like playing into, like, conspiracy theories, is that a real thing? Is that a real thing of the interaction intersection between Christianity or Christian missionary movement and then the, the Dalit movement? They call it predatory proselytization. Mm -hmm. In uh, Christianity, as we all know, that uh, it's a proselytizing faith. And uh, unfortunately, they have been very active in parts of the tribal India. There are... Uh, states there are uh, in fact uh, areas in uh, my adjoining state which is Jharkhand mm -hmm. and there are districts where uh, Christianity has grown multifold. My concern is that you use deceit, you use coercive method. What they used to do is, I'll tell you this, suppose a Dalit is uh, or a poor person in any village, in remote tribal village is unwell. Mm. So their modus operandi is that they'll open a primary health center. In the night, they will give them uh, a medicine, let's say a capsule, and keep a Bible below their pillow. Mm. In the next morning, they will open the capsule, empty it, and show it to the Dalit or the poor person, and say that there was nothing in it. There was Jesus Christ below your pillow who saved your life. I'm against this sort of archaic practice. Mm -hmm. Like in the name of uh, multiplication, in the name of proselytization, you should not make two of us like this. Yeah. This is unacceptable. The role of missionaries is with a global cause of concern. And especially in India, I mean, they have done some uh, good educational work as well. Sure. In terms of which, which, we, which we have to accept, but not that when your intentions are not good. Mm -hmm. When you are coming out with impure intentions, mm -hmm. then I think whatever you do is of no consequence. Because if your sole intention is a conversion, if your sole intention is proselytization, then I don't think and all your good work is born into the game. Because right. this is how, like I keep reiterating that it's a matter of respect for us. Yeah. Our civil consciousness, like why are you snatching it from me? Why are you sort of removing it from me? Because my generations then would be uh, bereft of it. Right. I mean, my idea of togetherness, my idea of uh, Holi, Diwali, Chhat, getting families together, getting the family system together, all the rituals, the people enjoy them. Because it's very, it's very central to our uh, sort of thought. Mm -hmm. And once you come and cut all those cords, that is something which is unacceptable. But I'm sure the government is now being mindful of the fact and the government is acting against these organizations as well. And in the right. due course, you would see, but I agree with you that conversion is a huge problem and uh, unacceptable from the Dalit perspective as well. And uh, for the All India Dalit Youth Alliance also, we intend to, in fact, there are efforts of uh, doing the gharwapsi of Dalits. Mm. So once they come to 
Christianity, there are many organizations who are getting Dalits back into the Hindu fold. Although there is no such civilizational provision in no. terms of law. <laughs> but uh, yes, they are getting them back. So I mean, uh, yes, it is a problem, it is a concern and the government should deal with them with an iron hand. Right. So we're getting into two hours here, so I want to close this out very soon for you. Um, what are what are some good um, good good future that you see for the work you're doing and um, and the Dal- and the All India Dalit Alliance? What are yeah? What's the the hope that you have and what's the vision that you have? Like I said, the vision is to have representation. The vision is to have dignity. The vision mm-hmm. is to have respect in everyday interaction. Like if I and uh, you. If Guru Prakash and Mukunda are having the conversation, there should be no prejudice or background of my caste, of my Dalit upbringing, of my Dalit origin. How do we generate this sense of respect and the sense of dignity? For this, it is crucial that uh, we articulate our concerns in the right sense, in the right mm-hmm. manner. And uh, we have our own people through the constitutional means forward. and. At the same time, I'm not going to say that uh, the instances of atrocities uh, should be covered up. Not at all. Whenever there is an instance of atrocity, it has to be taken up on priority. The victims has to be brought to justice. Mm-hmm. The perpetrators has to be brought to justice. So, how do you ensure that there are Dalits mm-hmm. having constructive and solution-oriented conversations? Yeah. How do you ensure that there is equitable representation in media? How do you ensure that there is sufficient representation in political parties? How do you ensure that there's sufficient representation in uh, the institutions that matter? So this sure. is, I, I think this is a work in progress. This is a sort of evolving conversation, but as yeah. of today, these are some of the concerns and aspirations which we have. And, and has your message been being received well across the board or are you having some difficulty or? Uh, we've, we've just started, the journey has just started, but uh, like I said, since my childhood, we have been uh, with this, uh, working in this space. So yes, I think uh, with the advent of social media, with the advent of technology, in fact, there is one of my uh, one and a half hour lecture, which is mm-hmm. on uh, you. I'll forward that thing to you, where I have spoken about what is going to be the new Dalit agenda, what are going to be some key challenges uh, in uh, sort of implementing that agenda. Yeah. And representation, I think, remains the key word here. Representation is the central uh, sort of core of our demands. Yeah, I mean, I, I think representation is incredibly important, but for me, in some sense, and maybe it's not my place to say, but I think the most important thing is social acceptance and social, you know, like Umbaker makes this point. The only way to destroy the caste system is to marry each other. You know, he, he was very clear in the annihilation of caste that he said intermarriage between communities is the only way to really stop because I think he understood at the deeper level that kind of bandha is incredibly hard to break when you have a relationship via marriage. Um, yeah, a different conversation on this, Mukunda, because marriage is a strictly personal business. In, yeah. Um, I'm not for any state-led interference. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying state-led at all. What I'm saying is, as society, like to uh, have that sense of looking past caste in, in terms for marriage, right? Because in India, it's still there. That, 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 that consciousness would come with time. 
but yeah. Uh, yeah, without interference from the state, once people realize this, and let me tell you, we will see this uh, ills of casteism probably waning away in our lifetimes only. Hopefully, when we have more and more people at uh, the positions that matters, it will automatically. No one is willing to share the power. No one is willing yeah. to share the buy. So that is one of the most important things. Like once you have this uh, sort of vision, once you have this sort of understanding that power has to be shared, yeah, equitably, then you would uh, move towards the resolution. And India is tough that way, right? Because it's very dynastic. Just not just in the central level, but even state levels. You have like the Yadavs that will just take power and hold power within their families. Um, it, it's a very complex. India is incredibly complex. I think people forget how complex and how how it's it's a web. It's such a web of, of various relations. So, um, do you have any last things to say, uh, Professor Prakash? I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and uh, you have been very inquisitive. You have, you had a professionally, I think. Uh, you have this knack or this skill of taking things out of your uh, speaker, and which is a very good thing. Uh, the Western thought, uh, I think we have discussed almost briefly on every aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, probably in the due course, like I said in my previous observation, we would see the ills of casteism waning away, sure. descending. But as of today, it is still a stark reality. Yeah. Like you said, social recognition, acceptance, and acknowledgement of the fact would be the first step ahead. Absolutely. Now, are you working on anything else, uh, like any books or any uh, uh, anything you want to mention? Yes, yes, yes. In fact, I'm working with uh, one book, which is Makers of Modern Dalit History. Hmm. In the sense, a uh, friend of mine I, and I are working on this book, which is uh, the uh, National Publishing House. and uh, so definitely, when times are normal, we'll come to US and uh, do the book discussions there as well. Absolutely, I would love to meet you in person. It'd be great. Um, so this of makers of modern Dalit history is essentially identifying the Dalits who have been instrumental in their uh, in the advancement of the cause of nationalism and Hindutva. Uh, yeah. Udham Jagjivan Ram, Chalpari Bai, Dallave. So we have sort of outlined uh, their uh, life and uh, how they were conscious and mindful of the fact of their social origin and mm -hmm. their contribution to the larger cause as well. Absolutely. Well, well, I'll look forward to it. Let me know when it comes out. I'll definitely get it. And um, thank you for your time, Professor. It was a great conversation. I learned a lot. And, you know, uh, I think uh, having these conversations with, with, with people as knowledgeable as you and and and, and having the experience you have is is beneficial for us all. And it's uh you know thank you so much again. You know. Thank you. Thank you Namaskar. so much for having Namaskar, Yamuna Tire Gayati